Um, I've got a challenging message for you today, so I'm hoping you feel real good and positive. We're concluding um, the Generous series, so this is message three, so if you're new to the church or you haven't been around for a little bit, you can always check out those messages um, online on our YouTube page. But today we're in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 15. Um, I'm hoping that most of us are familiar with verse 6, since that was our memory verse last, um, last month, but we're going to read it a little bit further. So today I'm going to start off a little different, and I'm going to read the entire scripture just in its entirety before we start to dig into it. So you can follow along in your Bibles, on your devices, or just right up on the screen. So 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 15. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to this poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for the food will also supply also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourself, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for, uh, for you, their heart will go out to you because of your, their surpassing grace that God has given you. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. So when I was younger, my parents wouldn't let me watch The Simpsons, the television show. And it was a really big deal in the 90s when I was growing up. And I think it's actually still on TV today doing new episodes, I'm not too sure. Um, but it rolled around this guy named Bart Simpson and his family, okay? I still don't watch the show, but I'd seen an episode in the dentist office. And this show, if you're not familiar with it, it is silly and it's full of satires. Um, again, I think it's still making new episodes, I, I'm not too sure. But anyways, I was in the waiting room and I guess it's already ruined the punchline here for me, but there's this one scene where Bart's dad, Homer, has invited his boss, Mr. Burns, back for dinner. And he wants to give Mr. Burns a really good impression. So they're all sitting around the table, and he makes the mistake of asking Bart to say grace, to give thanks for the food. And so Bart does give thanks, but in a very cheeky way, as Bart is known to do. And this is what he says, God, we paid for this ourselves, so thanks for nothing. God, we paid this for this for ourselves, so thanks for nothing, right? He says it, and it's meant to be silly. It's meant to be funny. But see, The Simpsons, I think, is touching on something that is probably true deep down, I suspect. That's how a lot of people think, isn't it? Like, instinctively. And I'm gonna throw Christians in there as well. Deep down, we assume that the good in our life is because of us and not God. Instinctively, that's our reaction. Lord, it was my brain that passed that exam. Thanks for nothing. Lord, it was my hard work that got me into this position at work, so thanks for nothing. Lord, I worked so hard, I've made all this money. 
thanks for nothing. Lord, I worked so hard, right? So hard. It's all me. It's all me. Thanks for nothing. Lord, it's human wisdom and medical breakthroughs that cured my sickness. Thanks for nothing. I wonder if this might actually be one of the things that we struggle the most with when it comes to God, his generosity. It's not necessarily whether we believe God is there, not necessarily whether we believe God is in charge and ruling, but is he in fact good, and is he in fact generous? Is Bart Simpson right? God thanks for nothing. And this battle to believe that God is good, that God is generous, this battle began at the very beginning of time. Back in Genesis 3, right when everything starts, God's given Adam and Eve life, it's a beautiful life, an abundant life, and then this serpent just kinda slides on in, the devil. Slides up to Adam and Eve and he attacks God's character. And the first thing he goes for is the generosity of God. He says, Adam and Eve, your creator, your God, he's keeping things back from you. If you wanna flourish, you're gonna have to do it on your own. Is he holding things back from you? Is it God thanks for nothing? I think that's the lie that we have believed so instinctively ever since Genesis 3. So part of what my heart is today to do is to recalibrate our hearts and present before you a vision of God that is true a vision of God who is abundantly generous because, of our, because our God is abundantly generous. So yes, we're in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 15, but I'm going to kind of be all over it at different parts in the verses. So bear with me as we go through this. So we're gonna start at verse eight. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. God doesn't just bless, he blesses abundantly. And then in verse 10, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for the food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way. God doesn't just enrich, he enriches in every way. See where I'm going? And then you go down to verse 14 and it says, in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace that God has given you. Suppressing grace that God has given you. God isn't just gracious. His grace, his kindness, surpasses all things. And then verse 15, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. He hasn't just given us a gift. The gift he's given is indescribable. You see, God is not just generous. He is abundantly generous. And it's not as if I had to search really hard in the Bible to find one little thing that speaks of God's abundance generosity. It is everywhere, right from the beginning. So God's act of creation in itself was an act of an abundance generosity. He didn't need to. He was maximally alive without creation, perfect and complete in every way without us or creation. His act of creation is an act of generosity towards us. And then you kind of think about the world that he makes. It's, it's not some bare minimum world, right? God's approach to making the world isn't like 
my approach when I tidy the house sometimes, like just do what I can get away with when the guests come over, do as little as possible, right? He could have created one tree. We wouldn't have known any different. He could have created one flower. But instead, he creates a world that is gloriously rich, deep with diversity and abundant in life, and a world full of color and taste and beauty. Even ants. Do you know that there's 13,000 types of ants? Right? And why not just a 1,000 stars? Why billions? And then he creates a world that would keep on giving as well. Plants and trees and birds and fish and humans that keep on producing. Like he's just saying more and more and more and more and he delights in it. Fill the seeds, fill the skies, fill the earth. The Lord's generosity in creation is abundant. So then now we go to the New Testament in the time of Jesus. Same thing. You're going to see abundant generosity. In John's gospel, the very first miracle that Jesus does, he's saving a wedding from disaster, the disaster of the wine running out, and he turns six stone uh, jars of water into wine. And again, it's not the bare minimum. He doesn't just give them enough bottles to get to the end of the day. It's this abundant generosity. And then later in the wilderness, most of you know this story. There's 5,000 plus people who've been following him. They're hearing him teach, and it's getting to the end of the day, and they haven't eaten. And Jesus has compassion on them, and he wants to feed those 5,000 plus people. He takes two loaves and two fish, and he creates enough food to feed them all. But again, it's not the bare minimum. It's very clear that there is loads of food left over. It's abundant. And then one more example, the best one in the Bible. The greatest example of God's abundant generosity is the cross. At the cross, the Father holds nothing back. He gives his one and only Son to die for us. The cross, the Son holds nothing back, and he gives himself to die. And through the cross, the floodgates of God's generosity are just flung open. In Romans 8.32, it says this, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all, us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? See, through Jesus, we're given all things, every spiritual blessing in Christ. If you read in Ephesians 1.3, which this is just such a good portion of scripture, praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise be the glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. To be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Forgiveness of every sin. 
every sin, clothed in the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. Mercy upon mercy, loving patience time and time again, a future inheritance that cannot perish, cannot spoil or fade. We're given all things through Jesus our Lord, so our God is abundantly generous. He's abundantly generous in creation. He's abundantly generous in salvation. He redeems us. He blesses us. And what's crazy about these two things working together is why does he redeem us? So that he can pour out more of his kindness upon us again and again and again. The author and theologian uh, N.T. Wright wrote this um, in his book about the Psalms. He put it like this. God creates that which is not God out of generous love in order that he may then, in the end, fill it, flood it, drench it with his love and his glory. Don't believe the devil's lies. Don't listen to Bart Simpson. God thanks for nothing. God is abundantly generous and he holds nothing back. Everything we have, everything we are, is from him. You know what is extremely remarkable, that even though everything comes from him, even though it's the result of his abundant generosity, he delights in us when we act like him, when we're generous. In 2 Corinthians, now verse 7, and Paul writes, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So we're going to come to this verse a little bit later towards the end of my sermon, but uh, God loves a cheerful giver. Pastor Jordan talked about this a little bit in his last message a couple weeks ago. But it's really crazy to think about. I can only give because God has first given to me. I can only be generous because he was first generous to me. I only have the inclination in my heart to give to be generous because he grows that inclination in my heart. And yet he loves me. He loves it. He loves it when I give cheerfully, when I give abundantly. He smiles upon me. He delights in me. So let me explain this a little bit. There was a phase when my daughter Bailey loved to give presents, okay? She still does today, but I'm talking like little three-year-old Bailey. She loved finding random things in the house and wrapping them up and giving them to us. And so just before birthdays or Christmases or Mother's Day, you would notice one or two things kind of go missing in the house, usually from whatever your collection was, right? It could be a sock, it could be a pen, a book, even food at times. And then one Christmas, she came, we're, we're looking, everything's missing, and she comes out and she presents us this gift. And we open it up, and there was my book that had been missing. Or whatever it was, because it was always something. Like, she wrapped up cheese once. Like, I mean, anyways. But our response, my response on that day was, thank you, Bailey. This is amazing. And she would be so happy, she'd smile with pleasure, she was so proud of herself. She loved giving, and we just loved that she was giving to us. Well, it's the same thing with the Lord. It's all his stuff. It's like us being little Bailey and wrapping it all up and just giving it right back to him. 
Everything we have that we can be generous with, with our times, with our talents, with our treasures, it's all his. But he still delights in us when we give it to him, when we're generous to those around us, just like him. So our God is abundantly generous, and he even delights in our generosity. So the next thing is his generosity leads to more abundance. Now, when you think about being generous with your time, your talents, or your treasures, this is how I used to view it. You may be the same. We assume it's like this cup of water that's filled, and I've just got a limited amount of time, a limited amount of talents, a limited amount of treasures, right, or money. And if I pour some of those things out, then they're gone. My cup is less full. And to some extent, that's true, right? Being generous, giving is often sacrificial. If I give money to this, then I obviously can't give it to the other thing. If I give my time away, then I obviously can't use my time in another area. But here's the thing about God's word, world. In his kind of economy, it is possible that being generous can lead to more abundance. It's true for God, and it can be true for us as well. So still in 2 Corinthians, now verse 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. The Lord will give us things so that we can then give them to others. That's kind of what I'm reading here. You will be enriched in every way so that the Lord gives away, he supplies seed and bread and harvest. He enriches in every way. Now, does this mean that God is losing out then? Does he end up with less because he's given to us? Well, let's keep reading. In verse 11, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. God's giving doesn't leave God with less. In fact, his giving and pouring out results in greater praise and glory for his name. Same idea in verse 12. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. All of God's giving and generosity comes back to God in thanksgiving, praise, and glory. God's generosity, his pouring out, does not leave God empty. So think about that with creation and salvation again. The Lord gives life to all of creation. He animates all things by his spirit and through his word. He breathed breath into the lungs of human beings so that we can exist. He gives and gives and gives, but he never loses out. He never is lessened in any way. The vitality, the diversity, the flourishing of creation abounds with praise and glory to God. In Psalm 19.1, it says this, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. And then listen to Psalm 96, 11. Let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad, let the sea resound in all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them, let all the trees of the forest sing for joy, let all creation rejoice before the Lord. The Lord gives and gives and gives, and in return he receives praise and joy and glory and delight from all that he has made. The Lord gives life, and life gives praise. His generosity creates an abundance of delight in him. 
Or think of God's greatest gift. We've talked about this in all, few, all, all three of these messages. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. God gives his son, right, because love gives. He gives him over to death, and does God lose out in any way? Is his cup empty in any way? No, because again, his abundance or his generosity leads to abundance. In Hebrews chapter 12, the writer says that through Jesus, through his death and resurrection, Jesus brings many sons and daughters to glory. And in that same chapter, at the end of his mission, Jesus says in verse 13, here I am with the children God has given me. Jesus brings many sons and daughters to glory, and then here I am with the children that God has given me. Jesus dies in order to save us, but the father doesn't lose a son. His cup isn't emptied in any way because the son returns. And not only that, he returns with a family, with sons and daughters, and he says to his father, here I am. I return with the children that we have saved. God's generosity does not leave God empty. It creates even more abundance. He gives one son, he receives millions and millions and millions back. And when we in Christ, trusting in Christ, show generosity, there's a sense in which our generosity can lead to more abundance. And this truly is the greatest exchange of all time. We didn't earn any of it, but God just gave it to us freely. We're saved by grace through faith, but not because you earn it. Not because of what Bart Simpson said, like you did it. But because we have a generous God. And listen, when you love, you give. We have to understand that. We have to actually grab a hold of that. We have to embrace it. Because when we're talking about money, it bothers some people. We got we get uncomfortable. There's probably people right now getting uncomfortable. Because it starts to reveal something in your heart. And I'm just gonna push on that for a second. When we talk about money, we turn inward towards ourselves. And people start to get upset. And why? Because the heart's beginning to reveal something. And I truly believe that God cares how you handle your money. There are many, many scriptures that talk about money in the Bible. And I believe that God wants us to be set free from the love of money. And I believe that God wants to help us be a generous person. So now listening to this, the next verse, it's kind of really beautiful. It's this circle back. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. God gives to us abundantly so abundantly in all things at all times that we have a need, so that we can abound in every good work and we can give out and to bless others. Then the cycle kind of starts again. It's not that we're given out, now we're empty. No, God blesses us abundantly again. We think the more generous we are, the more we give, the emptier we'll become. But that's not how it works in God's world. The more generous we are, the more abundance we will have with God with times, talents, treasures, and opportunities that he gives us. Now, does this mean that if you give more, you get lots more money back and a bigger house? No. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying, but maybe, but maybe if the Lord thinks that he can trust you with wealth, right, if he thinks that he could give you those things to further his kingdom, 
to help his kingdom grow, to build others up, then yes, maybe. But the abundance you see is not necessarily a return on what you gave in the way that you think. The abundance can be elsewhere. It can be an abundance of joy in your heart. It can be the joy of just being able to partner with God through giving so that you can spread his kingdom. This can be with money. This can be opening your home to people, using your possessions, your times, your talents to help others. The joy that you're storing up all for his glory. You know when you see people that you didn't really even used to know, but who are there or maybe here because your generosity and giving? That's an amazing feeling when you feel like you're partnering with something, right? Like, because of many of your generosity in this church, especially years ago, I'm here. Like, I know Jesus because of you. My family, my kids, the first generation in my family know Jesus because of you. And I'm just one example of so many. So you may not get a return or get money back when you give in the way that you might be thinking or even maybe some of the way you've been told or taught. Although I do think when we do anything that's generous, we do benefit. It could be through joy or compassion or kindness or a renewed energy, but the Lord will give us back something of greater value. So perhaps we start looking at that. We don't look at it as being left empty or left without, but where we're left with this abounding generosity, this abundance of possibilities that can happen for the kingdom of God. God is able to bless you abundantly so that you can have all things at all times, having all that you need. And he will abound in every good work, and then the cycle just begins again. Your generosity helps so many people in our community, people here who struggle with things, uh, the city, our missions around the world. And then those start to be generous too and the kingdom starts to expand and the cycle just keeps on repeating, leading us to abundance in our lives, abounding in blessings. So God is abundantly generous and his generosity leads to abundance. And just as we're wrapping up, I want to finish with just two principles and a story. Just two short principles about generosity from the scripture and just how to kind of be generous. Um, and I'm going to focus more on the treasure's end, so your money. So not time, talents, I'm talking money today. First, give thoughtfully. In verse 7 it says, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give. Give thoughtfully, give prayerfully. Being generous does not mean being reckless. We have responsibilities in our lives, of course, and we need to honor those that, we, uh, that depend on us. Be thoughtful, be deliberate, make it part of your planning. Your tithe is, yes, a great place to start. Budget your tithe. This is a good starting point. Work out your income, your ins and your outs. Listen to the wisdom of others and be generous. Each of you should give what you've decided in your hearts to give. And I should say when we're talking about giving that yes, there is a responsibility to give to the church, to your church. But giving is much broader than that. Reflecting generosity to all people, right? 
but give thoughtfully. Give cheerfully. In verse seven, it says, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. There are many things that can motivate us to give. Don't let guilt be one of them. It's a terrible reason to give. That's not why I'm saying anything that I'm saying today, or that we have in the last two messages. Start with thankfulness. All good things come from the Lord, Paul says in 1 Timothy 4, and they ought to be received with thanksgiving. So do not start with guilt. Start with thankfulness. So don't give because you're guilty. Don't give because you feel pressure or that you've been manipulated. Give cheerfully. Give joyfully. And there are so many reasons why you can do that. Cheerful because you see the good gift that somebody is doing. Cheerful because through us and through our giving, the Lord can bring relief and grace to people who just need some help. Cheerful because through giving, the gospel of salvation and life can be further to all the ends of the earth. Cheerful because we give, we show our hearts that we're not controlled by money, and that's a liberating thing. Cheerful because God delight delights in a cheerful giver. He delights. He smiles upon you. I enjoy the smile of my father. What a blessing that that is. So give thoughtfully and give cheerfully. I think sometimes we've been shaped by the lie that God is not generous. Like you may not say those exact words. Or we just kind of forget or we need to be reminded. Or we look around the world and and we want more and we want what others want or what they have. Or we hear Bart Simpson say, God, we paid for all these things, thanks for nothing. We think he's holding back. But none of that is true. If you look at Jesus and you look at the cross, if you look at nothing else and you just look at that, Look at your own life and see the abundance of God's generosity. If we're going to be cheerfully generous, our hearts need to be transformed. We need to remember our salvation through Jesus. Our minds get transformed when we gaze on God's truth in the scriptures. And the way that we think about and handle money gets transferred by remembering how generous or transformed by how generous God has been towards us. I'll say it like this. Generosity will begin to happen in us when our hearts trust God's generosity towards us. When we actually understand that God has already been generous towards us, then we need to have our eyes and our hearts fixed on our generous God. And we daily reflect on his graciousness and his generous heart, and then my heart begins to be shaped. If I give thanks for his provision and I confess my sin and I rejoice in his forgiveness... Those blessings that are now mine, that are now yours in Christ, given to us freely and abundantly by our Father in heaven, then our hearts begin to soften and our hands begin to open and generosity starts to shape your life. So the story that I want to end with today, actually a few weeks ago we talked about Mary pouring out that very expensive perfume, like a year's wage of perfume on Jesus' feet in this extravagant worship. Well, today I want to close with a very similar story from Luke 7. And I really believe what I'm going to say here is from God. 
because the last two days I've wanted to completely not talk about this part because I know I'll get emotional. But that's why I know I've got to do it. So let's just read, Jesus anointed by a sinful woman, starting in verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him, so Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from the city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off of her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. So picture this, a religious leader, we find out in this portion that his name's Simon, he invites Jesus over for dinner. Why? We're not too sure, maybe to interrogate Jesus, tell him he's wrong, we don't know, but Jesus agrees. Now, this isn't a table setting like we know it, with a high table and a bunch of chairs. This is a Middle Eastern setting, and the table would be knee-high, with cushions all around, People would be literally laying on their side on one arm with their feet behind them. And they would stretch out and have this beautiful communal meal together. This is the set. All men, a long meal, a long conversation, and a long day. And they're having this theological conversation. And then this woman quietly makes her way into the room, doesn't say a word, and I'm sure they're all thinking, like, what are you doing here, woman? You aren't allowed to be here. And she comes in, and she sits at the feet of Jesus, and she starts crying, which I'm sure makes everyone feel awkward. And then she lowers her hair, which would have been like a horror and outrage, okay? Culturally speaking, it was forbidden. If a woman did this, there was grounds for a divorce. It's crazy to think of, but this is what's going on here. And Luke, who's writing this, Luke's description of this woman is actually quite loaded. It says, a certain immoral woman from the city. It doesn't say her name. It doesn't even say what her sin was. But it implies it. There's sexual sin just kind of bathing in this whole story. And so everyone knew about this woman. Commentaries that I read had said that she might have been a prostitute going from man to man, but at the very least, she was having an affair with a married man. And everybody knew it. Everybody. And this woman comes into this room. Why doesn't Luke tell us her name or her sin? I don't know, but I kind of like that he doesn't. Because this is me. This is all of us. We're all this person. And then she cracks open this bottle of ridiculously expensive perfume and pours it out on his feet. And the room, I'm sure, is losing its mind. Like, nobody would have been happy about this except for Jesus. He's soaking it all up. The worship team can come out anytime. So go with me here. I'm going to use some of my own. This is how I process this, okay? So this is in my mind. This is how I'm picturing this scene. This woman hadn't actually planned to enter Simon's house that day. She wasn't allowed. She wasn't allowed in the church because everybody knew what she had done. So she's waiting outside. This is what I picture. 
She's waiting outside. I'll just wait outside. Maybe I can um, take my perfume and just put a little bit on his feet to show him some penance. Maybe just honor him just a little bit because they know what she's done, but she knows too. So she went outside. She's holding on to her perfume, just waiting to see if Jesus will come out because she's heard about Jesus. He's that guy, the one who loves the unlovable, who touches the untouchable. And maybe, just maybe, he has a little bit of that love left over for me. I don't know what I'm going to do. It's going to be awkward. But the gate opens. She has an opportunity. Oh, maybe I'll just go in. Who cares? It can't get any worse. I know what they're thinking. I know what I've done. So she just goes in. And in this room with a dozen Pharisees sitting around the table, in the middle is Jesus. And the closer she gets to him, the more she's consumed with how bad she is and how good he is. So she's drawn towards him. And she gets right up in front of him and she crumbles to his feet because everything that she's ever done is starting to come back and everything that's ever been done to her is starting to come back. And even with all those men staring at her, like she knows what they're thinking. She thinks it too. She knows it better than they all do. She begins to cry because she can't run from her sin any longer. Every time she closes her eyes, the sin is like right there. And the tears stop, start, and they don't stop. She just weeps and weeps. I heard it in German called her heart water. I love that. She doesn't even know how to say it. All she's saying is, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I need you, I need you, I need you. Her heart is just coming out of her eyes. It's the greatest prayer that's ever been prayed. See, listen, some of us have not even shed one tear for our sins. And this woman cries enough to wash Jesus' feet. It's brokenness. It's repentance. It's his generosity. And all of her pain and all of her sorrow and all of her love is being poured out on his feet. And now there's all of this tears. And she doesn't have a towel, so she does the only thing she knows how to do, and she just pulls her hair down. And the symbol of her beauty becomes a towel of worship. The Greek word, well, one of the Greek words for worship is prokuno, and I'm probably saying it wrong, but it literally means to kiss the feet, to bow in reverence. She starts kissing his feet. She takes that bottle of perfume, most likely all she has, so extravagant, so expensive, so generous, and she doesn't just sprinkle Jesus' feet. She pours it out in love. And I'm sure the room just explodes with fragrance, the fragrance fit for a king. It's extravagant. She keeps kissing and pouring out till there's nothing left, just forgiveness poured out, forgiveness poured out, poured out, poured out, her life poured out on his feet. 
and Jesus is receiving every second of it. Because you see, those who have been forgiven much love much. And love can't help but give. We need to see how generous God has been in our lives. Where would we be without him? Where would you be without Jesus? What is it about God who is the giver of every good gift and then we get the gift and we become greedy? If we could just like take a step back and see that the cattle on a thousand hills belongs to God. That all the riches, all the knowledge, all the power, all the goodness, all the glory is God's. That everything we have, when we see this, when we get this, our love, our love for God moves us to give. Our generosity is poured out. Almost 13 years ago, I gave my life to Jesus. Here at this church. I've told my story a million times and many of you know it but I went back there this week. And I remember that moment of saying yes, just like this sinful woman. I remember that moment when it clicked. There's this moment where this voice in my spirit almost like turned a light on. And I remember after that moment being saved by grace and through faith, and I remember sitting there weeping like this woman in this very sanctuary, like uncontrollably. And before I was saved, I never even used to cry. Uncontrollably, I didn't know how to pray. I didn't know what to say. Like, why would he forgive me? Why would he even want me? All I could do was say sorry and sorry and thank you and thank you and thank you. And when I go back there to God's generosity, and sometimes we need to go back to our first love and remember this, to really get this. When I go back to God's generosity in that moment and his generosity ever since, I can't help but get on my knees again and pour out everything I have on his feet even the most expensive perfume in all of the world doesn't seem to be enough. Because he's worthy of it all, and more, and more, and more, and more. I give because God has given to me, I love him. He's been so good to me, so generous, and I want this world to know this generous God. going to pray and we're going to go into a time of worship. We're going to have the altar open here with our offerings to present to the Lord. Take this time to pray. See what God is saying to you to remember your first love. Remember what Jesus has done for you. Remember those moments. Hopefully you've prayed over them already and you know what you want to do. If not, take that time and just on your own, you can present them as an extravagant worship. We're going to present our hearts in worship. We're going to present our envelopes in worship. So if you'll stand with me, I'm going to pray. 
Father God, we just pause right now and just remember your great generosity towards us. We know in our hearts it's not thanks for nothing. It's thanks for everything. You were good and you were generous. Where would we be without you? We just pause to remember that, Father. For those who have been forgiven much, loved much, help us to remember this, Lord, right now. Remember it. Remember that it's because of you, because of how good you are and how generous you are, because you have forgiven us. I'm clean, I'm free, I'm loved, we're adopted. You are our Father, I'm pure and holy in your sight, Jesus. I thank you, God, for your generosity. Who am I that you would love me? Who am I that you would bleed for me? Who am I that the Holy Spirit wants to inhabit these bones? Who am I? You do everything for us. You died for us. You rose for us. You pray for us. And you're coming back for us. So thank you, Jesus. You're such a generous God, Father. Crack open our hearts of generosity, Father, to those around us. Crack open these jars at your feet, Father. Open our lives, our hearts, our worship to you. this all in your glorious name. In Jesus' name I pray.